And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. Now, look, a lot of you have pets. And those pets came from a lot of different places. Maybe you utilized a breeder. Maybe you found a stray cat. Maybe you hopefully adopted or fostered a pet. But with that, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, before we get too far into that, I want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Now, when it comes to managing an animal rescue shelter, as I mentioned, there's a whole lot that goes into it. And what do I know about that? Not a whole lot, but my guest today does know quite a bit. With me today, I have Liz Whitaker, and Liz is the founder and CEO of Paulytics, straight out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome to Startup Hustle. Thank you so much for having me today, Matt. I'm excited to be here and get to talk about animal rescue software. Yeah, and I'm going to learn all about it because I'm a, <laughs> I, I love efficiency and I love animals and I think that that'll go well. Now, no one tells the story of their own story better than the founder themselves. So Liz, why don't you give us a little, uh, a little bit about your backstory? Yeah, yeah. So my backstory, I've always, always loved animals, but the uh, cruel irony of the world is that I'm actually incredibly allergic to dogs and cats and anything fluffy. And so growing up, I wasn't allowed to be around uh, dogs and cats or have my own. And so I ended up just reading about animals endlessly and discovering that there was a huge homeless animal problem. And so this passion for me really was born at around the time that I could start reading. And so since I was four years old, I've been working towards this goal of how do we create a world that's better for homeless animals to ensure that they get adopted, they make it out of the shelter alive. And so through just a series of failures, uh, this is actually my fourth company, uh, we figured out, we think a way to make money and help animal shelters save loads and loads of animals. And so the background of politics and myself is really just a series of failing and failing and failing and figuring out every way that this was not going to work. <laughs> well, as long as you keep getting better, it usually eventually works out. And you know, we've had spent so much time on this podcast talking about um, who, do, who do you bet on the jockey or the horse? Right. And everyone always picks the jockey because pe driven people figure out ways to win. And, and that's really just kind of something that that we've learned. Now, for those of you that are listening outside of the Midwest, and you know, we've had listeners on this podcast in 190 countries, which once again, I didn't even know there was 190 countries. And there's more. There's more than that. But for, from where Liz is, so Liz is in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And this is often referred to as the animal health corridor. And mm -hmm. there's and so with that, there are a lot of, and we've had quite a few guests in the past that are doing 
animal and pet related stuff. Um, so that, that's pretty neat. And you're, you're in that group, but has any of that, has any of that influence, uh, gone into what you're doing now or how you do anything? Uh, yeah, I would say that honestly, starting a company in the Midwest has dramatically shifted and, and even being in Lincoln, Nebraska specifically has dramatically shifted my ability to even start companies. Um, you know, when you're based in the Midwest, you're in this you know smaller pool of entrepreneurs. However, people are more apt and more likely to extend a hand to help you. They genuinely want to see you be successful. And what I'm finding, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, is that in the Midwest, we tend to specialize more in these niche uh, markets instead of being more consumer facing type products that are getting created. And so I felt like this was a great place to be able to build a software that was going to be for a very niche market that often gets overlooked when it comes to technology and innovation. Well, there's, and there, you know, as mentioned, there are a lot of uh, animal health things going on because mm -hmm. a lot of people have pets and <laughs> I don't have the statistics on that, but I know it's huge. Uh, so in, in regards to that, and you mentioned having a love for animals and I got to believe that that has to drive a passion for, you know, why you started what you're doing, but really, I mean, why did you start your company? Yeah. So it's an interesting story. So this whole journey for me really started about five years ago. I started my first company, which was a nonprofit animal rescue. Very straightforward. It was just taking animals in, making sure they were healthy and behaviorally sound, and then finding them new placement. And when I was doing that as one person, I was only able to save about 60 to 100 animals a year. Well, that's just not high enough impact for me. I wanted to save all of the animals. So from there, I tried to open up a cat cafe here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, I was looking for innovative ways to give a different perspective on shelter animals and make it not this sad thing where you walk into a shelter and you just leave kind of feeling depressed and not really adopting an animal. Um, I was not able to open up the cat cafe and that was one of my uh, first massive uh, public failures and I was incredibly embarrassed. I genuinely did not think anyone would ever trust me to start a business again. And so I pretty much cried in my room for a week <laughs> and picked myself up again and said, all right, have I saved all the animals or created this large impact that I'm looking for? And the answer was no. And so I said, all right, I got to keep going. And so I started my next company, which was my first tech-based company called Family Pet Project. And that was for people to rehome pets safely through the internet. And from there, I actually was able to get it to market. We had customers, um, people were using the website, but then I quickly realized, hey, we are not going to be able to keep this financially stable on its own without pouring loads of money into marketing because it was a dual-sided marketplace. So being that I wanted to continue on this mission, I picked up the phone and called 400 shelters across the nation and said, would you use this product? And through those conversations, they ended up being customer discovery for my current company, Politics, where they were telling me, look, the technology you have is cool, but where we really need help is in the technology that's internal to our organizations. And so that's really where the genesis of Politics came from, of listening to the shelters, really understanding what the, uh, you know, asking the five whys of why they couldn't take in these animals from owner surrenders uh, and discovering that their technology that they had in-house was bad. It was outdated. It was not efficient. It caused them to do spend a lot of time on double, sometimes triple data entry on each pet. And they just simply don't have that kind of time when the product that you're dealing with is live animals. It's not product that sits on the shelf in the back. 
And so that really is the foundational story of how politics became a company. So, I mean, basically overall, you're helping facilitate the entire process of pet adoption um, in all steps of the process? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much from intake, which is where the organization brings the animal in, all the way through outcome, which is where the animal either leaves through an adoption, it goes to another organization, or worst case scenario has to be euthanized. So we facilitate and um, manage all the data from that process all the way from when they take the animal in to when the animal is going to be leaving that organization. So when it comes to this, you know, you talk about having past experiences and wins and losses and, you know, every entrepreneur I know uh, that's been successful and is honest about it, talks about a lot of the failures. I have to believe that someone probably mentored you and helped you, you know, you talk about that. Uh, by the way, if you haven't cried about your business, then <laughs> you either haven't done it long enough or you don't really care. Yeah. Um, so listen up to that one, people. Like, <laughs> there's not, in your room crying for a week is not, is not the end of the world, but there's right. usually someone or something that uh, that reflates us. Yes. Um, I say reflate rather than mm-hmm. inflate because we were probably <laughs> inflated prior to the to the poking of the hole and the ball. But yeah. you know, so who, who's mentored you, partnered with you, or invested in you that yeah. has really made the difference for you? Yeah, I mean, there's one one mentor in in, in particular that I point to that that has a, a huge role in in me even continuing along this entrepreneurial journey because I was very deflated at the end of my last company and really wasn't sure that I was the person to make to get a business off the ground. Um, my 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 ego was hurting and I felt you know that true imposter syndrome of it's not going to be you. And so uh, I had a really, the funny story is that I had a horrible investor meeting for my last company, Family Pet Project. And so I immediately drove over to my mentor. His name is Sam Nelson. He runs the Center for Entrepreneurship at the University of Nebraska. And I immediately came to his office sobbing again, just saying, I don't think it's going to be me who's going to start a successful company. And I think I'm just going to be done. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do because I don't think I'm fit for a typical nine to five job. And at this point in time, I had started playing around with the idea of politics. And so he had said, look, before you quit entirely, I think you're a great entrepreneur. And I think you actually have a really good idea this time. Take six months and dedicate yourself to politics for six months and set some metrics. And if you hit those metrics, keep going. And if you don't, then drop it and then figure out what you're going to do with your life. And so I said, all right, my metric is going to be I need to make it to the final round of this business pitch competition at the university. And so we entered into that competition and not only did we make it to the final round, we ended up winning the whole thing. And that was actually the first funding to actually start politics. Um, And so had my mentor not told me to stick with it for another six months, politics wouldn't be here today. You know, pitch competitions and stuff like that are tough. Um, Not everyone adheres well to public presentation. Um, And, you know, I say that because, you know, Full Scale, uh, the company that owns Startup Hustle and mm-hmm. provides me with a paycheck, right. um, unlike this podcast on Sunday, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we, we've given away a lot of stuff mm-hmm. at pitch competitions. And I've gotten to know so many of the, the, the uh, people involved, both before and after, and so many of them are terrified. Um, and, and now for me, I, I'm, I have that personality type that is kind of bulletproof 
for when it comes to public presentation. Now my wife, complete opposite story. And, right. and we mystify each other. She doesn't understand how like easily that it is for me. And I don't understand how she's so terrified of it. Where do you fall on that graph? Cause you seem pretty outgoing, but that doesn't always right. mean you're not scared. Oh, right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I am very outgoing, very extroverted. You you hit the nail on the head with that one. But when I first started um, companies and, and different organizations about five years ago is really when I started this entrepreneurial journey in general, I was petrified to public speak. And so it actually took me four years to win that pitch competition. And so every year we had entered, we kept getting knocked out in the first round. And I just remember printing out my uh what I was gonna say during these pitch competitions and literally holding them up and like shaking and reading it while I have my presentation going and so by the end of it though I was like boom I've got these things memorized nobody knows the business better than I do so it took four years to really get that confidence and and feel like of course nobody knows this story better than I do no no one else is running this thing um and so after four years I finally had the confidence and now now it doesn't feel as scary I used to black out during all my pitch competitions. And then afterward, I'd be like, how'd I do? Did I say the right words? <laughs> so I, 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 actually, I, I refuse, I refuse to learn my lines uh, <laughs> because I've, because I've seen so many just things. Yeah, I'm 45 mm -hmm. years old. So I've had a, I've had a couple laps around the sun to yeah. see wins and losses. And mm -hmm. I've, and every time I see someone fumble and in the middle of a, of a presentation and they're frozen, it's because mm. they're going back to find that spot yep. where they blanked. Yes. And that's why I forced myself not to do it. Actually, mm -hmm. my trick is much like a musician's set list. I just write down like seven words mm -hmm. in a column if I even do that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so you can kind of look at it and talk. Mm -hmm. But you still have to have a pretty strong grasp on what you want to say. I'm not saying don't practice. I don't, right. I don't personally practice unless I'm if I'm speaking to a room full of my peers or something that's a little more formalized than sure. Right. But yeah, so that's a, that's a, that's a, a big thing to, to get past. And, you know, like, and, and I'll tell you what, when you are talking to a room full of your peers, that's mm -hmm. way different than like a room full of just strangers for, exactly. for many reasons. Oh, so, yeah. um, all right. So, so uh, when you won that competition, how yeah. did that put gas in the tank other than uh, some financial resources? Yeah. So that really, for me, was the first true validation, external validation of the idea. We had some validation from the industry already. And so we had letters of intent going into that business pitch competition, which of course strengthened our idea. And so having validation from the local startup community here of business leaders who are incredibly successful told me to keep going. And so that, that validation also allowed us to take that money and go get uh, grants from the state because it was such good validation. And so we were able to not only double, we then tripled the amount of money that we won in the pitch competition with grants. Um, and that seemed to be that first catalyst then for getting accepted into different uh, business accelerators, as well as, um, you know, different entrepreneurial groups. So we were fortunate to go through uh, the local accelerator called Enmotion. Then I was able to get into Pipeline Entrepreneurs, which, of course, uh, I think you have interviewed here in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, we also were accepted into Y Combinator Startup School. So it was that first validation that then we were like, let's keep going. And it just snowballed from there where we were getting more and more and more validation, which then equated to more investment money or grant money. And so that was that first point that we needed to get that confidence that, yes, this is the idea that will both fulfill that mission aspect, but also fulfill our profit aspect as well. 
Yeah, and those boys, Boy Scout and Girl Scout badges. Um, yes. I mean, that's really what that is for a lot yeah. of people. And you know, mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't gone through that process myself mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as a participant mm-hmm. in most of that stuff. I, I might have gone through the 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 Matt Combinator School of Hard Knocks on a lot of days because <laughs> I probably could have avoided a lot of heartache if exactly. I gotten involved in in some of that. Now, yeah. um, you know, so it, you know. Every time I always, I, I kind of, we poke fun at planning sometimes on the podcast because right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's at a startup, it's really hard to do. And we like to yeah. quote Mike Tyson when we say everyone had a plan until they got punched in the face. <laughs> um, okay. So how did you, how did you go about planning for your whole business? And I'd also like to know one thing that you look back at and laugh about that was part of the plan that either. Yeah, cratered yeah. <laughs> or just like you like I don't know there's things you look back you're like I thought that would actually work yes yeah yeah there's loads of that uh, as as I'm sure you're very familiar with usually the way we start things out is we have this grandiose master plan that of course needs to be scaled back by like 10x the opposite direction um and so in starting politics we had defined out this huge huge uh enterprise level software that I thought would be able to be built in less than $100,000. So now I look back at that and laugh, hilariously so, at just how much money it actually takes to get a functional working software program off the ground that then has global reach, for in our case at least. Um, and so I do look back at that and, and I just laugh. And then thinking about you know some of the initial bids that we thought it was gonna cost to build the entire platform out, I think we were thinking like, 30,000 to build out this whole thing. And that's just unbelievably laughable now because that's a couple of years ago before I was really aware of how expensive it was to build technology. Um, and so the the plan has changed dramatically and, and even so continues to change. And I think that is a sign that we are doing things in general, right? Because if things aren't changing, that means we're not failing or experimenting and whatnot. So we really started as this software that was meant to be just foster-based animal rescue software. And then that started growing into, hey, we're hearing more from these large animal shelters and we're looking at what they're using and it's awful and we absolutely can build something better. So then it started to morph into, hey, let's build animal shelter software. And now, even over the last year, it's, it's grown into a much larger opportunity beyond animal shelter software where we've discovered that every single animal shelter and every single animal rescue microchips animals, which gives us a unique identifier so that we can actually now create electronic health records for pets that can travel with them to any vet clinic, groomer, boarder, or trainer. Um, And so even still, this plan is constantly changing. It's incredibly difficult to keep up with uh, our business plans and our pitch decks because it honestly does feel like it changes almost on a monthly basis. And, And even with anything in development, you know, we might have something planned out to go one way, but then we start piecing together the code and the programming that's necessary and realize we need to shift plans. Um, and so every month something is different and every day we're putting out different kinds of fires or new exciting things are happening. Um, I would say in terms of things that were incredibly unexpected when we were starting this company is I didn't realize how many animal rescues there were around the globe. We were very, very focused on the US-based market and we still are. However, about 10% of our customers are from other countries that have found us because there's simply no other options for the other countries as well. 
And so that's been, I think, the most fun for our team is getting to talk to rescues in Trinidad and Romania and Germany and Belgium and all these different countries that we had never even thought of in the beginning of this process. Yeah, and that's and that's that's interesting. It's well, it's kind of like I mentioned earlier that having 190 countries that have listened <laughs> to startup us. I'm like, who is our listener on the Isle of Man? <laughs> right, exactly. And where is that? And if you're listening, I'm sorry, I haven't still looked it up. And are you a man? <laughs> right. Yeah. Are there yeah, only right. men on the Isle of Man? So exactly. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's the software things. Uh, I mean, that's obviously near and dear to my heart. We acknowledged mm -hmm. before we hit record. I think I we talked a couple mm -hmm. years ago yeah. about full scale, and mm -hmm. and um, you might have been in that still in that process where like because there's there's some things, and I I don't remember the specifics right. of it, but there are there are red flags that uh, I have identified two and a half years and you know at full scale we employ a couple hundred developers and have right. dozens of clients worldwide and and trust me we we hear all about the wins and the losses mm -hmm. and um and the thing like there are a few things is a lot of people say well can you do it for this amount and this amount of time and i literally say because i'm so transparent and open and honest with the people we talk to i say no one knows and they're like what do you mean how do you know how do you, what do you mean you don't know how much it's going to cost i'm like because yeah. no one fucking knows it's dude true. Mm -hmm. and, and they're like, that doesn't seem like a very exact answer. And, you know, if I and I'll talk to some people that might not have chosen us. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we went with the company that said that they could do it in six months for 30 grand. I'm like, how's that going? And they're yep. like, well, we're 12 months in and it's cost three times as much. And I feel stuck. Yep. That is the I think the most common and yep. classic story of all yep. development. And uh we were, yeah, we were be. in that place where we had a company bid, you know, 30K, about six month timeline, 10K into it. I wasn't seeing anything being produced. So we cut our losses. And that was right after that pitch competition. We had 25K to work with. We immediately yeah. lost 10. So I just remember, again, cry I sound like I cry a lot. I don't cry that much just when it comes <laughs> to my company being a disaster. But I remember just calling my mom up and saying like, I did it again. I, I fucked up basically. I don't know how I did it. I was so careful this time and we're out 10 K. There's no way we're going to be, be able to build this in 15. And, and I just remember being so heartbroken because we had so much good validation at that point for this company. And she had said to me, and this sticks with me forever. And I try to get this uh, into my, my team's head as well as make the $10,000 mistakes now before you're making $10 million mistakes later. And that perspective, I was like, oh, yeah, in the grand scheme of where I want to take my life, yeah, 10K now, I'd rather learn the lesson on 10K than learn the lesson on 10 million. Yeah, and a lot of people that want to build software, I mean, like, here, heed he, he, this warning. Yeah. It takes longer than you think. Mm -hmm. It will be more difficult than you want it to be. Yep. Because if you're trying to build something from scratch, it's all the framing and the plumbing of that home that you're trying that structure you're trying to build and that's you know those are some of the things that we talk to people that are coming into the full-scale ecosystem so like, we take a different approach like we give you a transparent line of sight 
to your developers. They're on your team, which sounds like was an issue for you when you spent 10 Mm -hmm. grand, because that's where a lot of people get stuck is, and, and you want us, you want to talk as a startup and, you know, Matt Watson and I built this from our own experience. You want to talk, you want to be able to have direct access and talk to the people that are building your dream with you Mm -hmm. because, uh, okay, developers are, they're engineers. And if they don't understand the plan, yeah, and if it's not or any of it, then you're now you you're leaving that up to being interpreted by someone that might not have the same vision as you. And then right. another thing too, there's just the general wanting to sleep at night. Yeah, <laughs> when you're not seeing progress. So like a lot of companies, they'll get they'll tell you they'll say, well, we'll do it, and it'll take this long and cost this much. Mm-hmm. And then they don't want to show you anything for like right. two months. Mm-hmm. And like, I, there's no way. Mm-mm. I Red could flag. get through that myself. Mm-hmm. Like I just literally like, I mean, my hair is already thin enough <laughs> and I'm pointing at it on the live stream. It is what it is, but I would pull the rest of it out, you know? Yeah. And so that, that, that's really important. And, you know, even though full scale, we're in the business of, of developers that aren't in the U S right. we want people that we want our, we require mm-hmm. our clients to have someone here that, is a project manager, a yes. lead developer, something else. We just help you scale your team up. And yeah. and the, and that's and then locally that's important because it's nice especially in those early stages to be able to talk to someone. Like you sound like you're me, you're a non-technical founder, is that yes. correct? Correct. Okay. So so we need other people to build our dreams in mm-hmm. that regard. We have to we have to deal with being the one that cries in our rooms yes, <laughs> and, and stands on stage during a pitch competition and yeah. talks to investors and yeah. stuff like that. Exactly. So, okay. So, so you've gone through a lot of stuff with that, like with all of this and, yeah. and wins and losses. And by the way, I personally, like, so we've invested uh, $1.4 million in wow. startups in the Midwest through full scale in the last wow. year and a half. And, and with that, I love entrepreneurs with scars because they've usually learned a few things. You yes. don't, you realize you're not bulletproof. Yes. Uh, so w- what are a few things you've learned that transformed you as a leader or a professional or a person? Yeah, I would say, I, th- I would say that the lessons I've learned are very much reflected in our core values now. And so we, you know, as a company, as I've finally gotten the privilege now to be able to hire employees and bring on real team members that beyond myself and, a, and, and, and you know, our early, early stage co-founders, um, you know, the, the core values really come down to one, it's okay to make mistakes. It's actually very encouraged because that means you're doing something. And so when I bring on new team members and like, you know, even a good example is bringing on new developers, they might push something up that crashes the site, for example. To me, that means they're doing things. If I'm not seeing mistakes being made, that's telling me you're not doing something. So our very first core value is we don't quit and we fight through uh, and we're incredibly persistent. We fight through the mistakes, we reapply the lessons, we learn and fail fast. Um, beyond that, you know, I think I've learned that persistence is, a, is key because that's the only way to get through all the different ways that don't work. And, and that's really what it took to get this company off the ground in the first place is figuring out all the ways that I was not going to be able to save animals and make lots of money. <laughs> um, and then lastly, I think the other thing I learned is that your mission does not have to change. So, you know, four companies ago, the mission was always, I want to save animals and make money. And that, those two things have never changed. But how I'm doing that, how I'm accomplishing that has changed dramatically. And so being okay with change and not holding tight to this particular method of doing something or a particular company 
has been incredibly helpful. I mean, for the first probably six months of, of working on politics, the, the company didn't even have a name because I just didn't want to get attached to it if it wasn't going to work. Yeah, I think that's a, a sophisticated outlook, especially from the error perspective, because mm -hmm. once again, in the early stages, none of this stuff comes with an owner's manual, people. Mm -hmm. So like you have to kind of build that yourself, which means that if you won't or can't embrace change, you're going to have problems. Yes. I mean, like big problems. And, you know, there's only one constant that you can count on, and that is change. Mm -hmm. So you know, wrap your arms around it and get ready to go. So, exactly. all right. So, so you mentioned having, uh, gaining traction and getting users and doing a lot of different things in, in different countries. Mm -hmm. Uh, how have you gone about marketing or selling your product? Yeah. So for us, you know, the animal, the world of animal welfare, especially in the United States is relatively small. And so word of mouth has been huge for us. And when you're thinking about animal sheltering as a space, um, and who the end user of this space is, which is the people running animal shelters, the volunteers that are doing the work, the shelter employees, um, you know, it's a very unsaturated space. So we've really tried to take a focus on becoming thought leaders in the space, producing content that's going to help the uh, animal shelter employees themselves. And so we found that our best leads and those that become some of our best customers are the ones who find us through our content online. Um, they like what we're publishing out there. Uh, we have very progressive ideas for the industry. And so that's how we find, or I rather we are found by a lot of our users, even on a global scale is simply through our content marketing. Um, so we're very proud that we've spent almost no money on marketing with the exception of going to conferences pre COVID. Um, and so for us, that's really how we do it. Um, outbound sales we find is not a big producer for, for sales for us, but that's just because if you're trying to sell to nonprofits or organizations where their salary is not dependent on their output, they're not as motivated by receiving these, you know, sales emails in their inbox because they don't necessarily have this fear of I need to produce, I need to, you know, save more animals or I'm going to get fired. Um, and so we try to position ourselves as thought leaders and so that we're trusted. And when people find us, they recognize the brand, they recognize our, our team's personality as well. Um, and then we initiate that, that contact once they've reached out to us. But outbound sales at this point, we use as that first point of hear our name. We don't expect you to really do anything until you're ready. Uh, you must have sent up a signal flare to Pipeline because here's a live chat comment. Look <laughs> at this proud Pipeline company doing amazing things. Oh. And uh, it just says Facebook user. So I, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know who you are. Oh. Uh, but uh, that's, uh, yeah, we've mm -hmm. had that we've had people from Pipeline and, and, uh, um, and, and help, you know, they, they just yes. have their, they're about to have their next class of people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, coming in. So, yes, yeah, yes. we'll, uh, we'll see who that is soon, or mm -hmm. hear about who that yes. is soon. So, Very you know, good. we'll see how, see how that goes. Um, yes. So, a couple of things. So you seem like a pretty driven person. Um, so the, here's here's a here's a, a kind of a grab bag question for you. <laughs> okay. uh, what, what's the difference? What's the difference between being driven and being obsessed? Ooh, huh, that's a really good question. Be, the difference between being driven and being obsessed. Well, I think the obsession creates the drive. Uh, and so if I didn't have the obsession, I wouldn't have the drive to continue. Um, so I think one is cause and effect for the other. I don't know. That would be my best guess, I suppose. Um, 
because I think, you know, ironically, generally speaking, I'm quite lazy as a person in that I like to hang around and be a couch potato. But when it comes to working on this company, it is one of my favorite things to do on planet Earth because my, I mean, this is, I'm getting to live my childhood dream, essentially, that I didn't think was going to be possible without, you know, going to law school and making all this money, becoming a lawyer. And the original plan for me was to go to law school uh, make a boatload of money, you know, for 50 years practicing as a lawyer. And then when I'm in my 80s, start an animal shelter. That was the original plan. And so um, I think obsessing over over it endlessly and applying it to everything I was learning in college and all my different work experiences and, and that obsession helped kind of form in my head, like, wait a minute, I think I can execute on this now because there's so many gaps in the industry right now that it doesn't appear like anyone's solving properly. Um, so the obsession, I think, helped boost the drive and the obsession means that my brain is always marinating on new information I'm getting and applying it to the company or the, the industry that I'm working within. Yeah, I think the difference is there's a lot of people that show up with drive and then they have the ability to stop thinking about it, yes. whatever it is, <laughs> it, it. And, yes. you know, and, I, and I've been fascinated with that question because, you know, the, I mean, the, the parallel question to that, here you go, since you dove into that one so well, what's the difference between being a genius and being crazy? Ooh, being a genius and being crazy. Man, I don't know. I really don't know. Not, uh, not much what, is probably yeah, the yeah, best yeah. answer on right. some level. But yeah, exactly. it's, it's a similar, it's a similar comparison. I mean, mm -hmm. in both those things, there's a very, very fine line in between there the two is. of them. And, you know, that's why you see so many people that are, you know, like, I, I the with the genius and crazy thing. Uh, well, first off, that's an outside perspective. Yeah, right. um, so the best answer I've ever had on that is who cares? Um, <laughs> which that. was very felt very relevant. Yeah. It was like, mm -hmm. who cares? Because it's yeah. a third party perspective, right. and it, it shouldn't matter. But mm -hmm. Um, and then really kind of like the overlook on, on some of the genius and crazy stuff is also, once again, it being an outside perception is if you haven't been successful, they will often label you as crazy. But right. if you, like you look at like Elon Musk and just like mm -hmm. some of the weird and wacky things he says from, you know, and like whether they're true or not, if he wasn't Elon Musk, people would be, be like, dude, put your tinfoil hat back on yes, and get back out, you know, do whatever. And and so there, yeah, it is. It is kind of like that um, quote that's like, at first they're going to ask why, and then they'll ask how, you know, it's that, mm -hmm. that very cheesy quote of at first. It's like, why the fuck are you doing this? And then you're yeah. successful and you change an industry, you're a disruptor to some capacity. And they're like, how did you do that? That's amazing. Yeah, I've had some some notable wins in the past. And mm -hmm. after you get, get through those and yeah. it all kind of settles and slots into the memory, uh, you know, the, the, the memories for yourself, you start to look back at things. And I've had a couple of businesses that have, have done really well in the past and directly in front of them were mul a couple of different people that are like, dude, you're crazy. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, how exactly. are you ever going to make any money doing this? Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden, then you're like, ha ha. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, it, and some of those same people, I actually, from number instance one to business two, I went back to go ask them and they shit on the second idea. And I used that. I was like, so I am onto something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, yeah. that's, kind of, that's uh, all right. Since we're, since we're in the al alternate interesting questions ca yes, category, uh, what, what's your, what's your superpower as an entrepreneur? Ooh, I would say my superpower as an entrepreneur is, is, um, 
problem solving. That's really what I enjoy doing. And so for my, you know, my position on the team is bring me your problems and I will solve them. I love, love, love problem solving. Um, and so I think, you know, I don't know, problems go into my head, they come through some filter and I'm like, boom, problem solved. Here you go, guys. Uh, executing is not my favorite thing to do. So I, I definitely fall into that category of more visionary, more, you know, my thoughts are always going. Um, and I thoroughly enjoy being a visionary and, and doing more of this uh, thought process. And I like, you know, having to scrape emails or go do those incredibly tedious tasks that yes, need to get done when you are a small startup. And so I've done it, done the pain. We still have to do very not scalable things at the moment. But I think uh, my position on the team and my superpower is that problem solving and, and uh, I suppose brain power for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of, you, you uh, accidentally, or maybe you be, you being a visionary, you answered the second part of that, which was what is the kryptonite, but the execution thing is it's, 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 and this isn't uh, a reflection on your comments, right. but I, I, at my age at this point, I've now just come to the belief that uh, it, that good ideas are cheap. Execution mm -hmm. is gold, platinum, or invaluable because yes. mm -hmm. uh, it's it's you know having million dollar ideas. Those yes. are throwaways. Oh yeah. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. they're like that's not really even that 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 great because mm -hmm. you know that i mean it's i'm not saying i'm not trying to sound highbrow when i say no, that it's but, true but, mm -hmm. but but a lot of people have million dollar ideas flowing and mm -hmm. uh, bags of them but they're not worth shit until you right. do something with right. them so your inability to execute and i mean that's even like in any any business you know we've even go we'll go through that uh, look at like what we're trying to accomplish at full-scale startup hustle and all the different things we do and we'll be like well we had some a plus ideas and some C minus execution, <laughs> yes, which makes you a B, which makes you a B minus student at right. that point. Right. So you know you got to you got to put it all together on the oh, report yes. card. Um, yeah. All right. So we got we got into the all, internet all the alternate interesting questions bag, yeah. and there's one more. Okay. All right. So if you were trapped on an island and you could only listen to one album the whole time you were there, what would it be? Ooh, straight out of Compton by NWA. That's a good choice and yeah. not what I expected. Yeah, <laughs> mine's personally mine's personally 40 ounces to freedom by Sublime. I, it's probably Ooh, got the most one. It's got the most repeatability for me. Yeah. And and mm -hmm. I could actually probably do straight out of Compton as well oh, yeah. as much oh, yeah. time as I spent listening to that as a child. It's so, so good. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you threw a curveball at me with that answer. So um, once again, with me today, straight out of Lincoln, Nebraska, Liz Whitaker, the CEO and founder of Politics. She helps animals. You can learn more about Politics. There's a link in the show notes. I'm not going to try to spell it because you'll forget it probably. And that's okay. Um, so I end my episodes of Startup Hustle with what I lovingly refer to. And by the way, I say my episodes because I want you to go check out the episodes that Andrew Morgans and Lauren Conaway throw out once a week for you. Learn all about different female stuff that Lauren talks about. Yeah, she's an <laughs> innovator. Um, Love it. And, uh, and really good at it. And Andrew does a lot of great stuff with e-commerce and Amazon. They will both be regular participants in Startup Hustle TV. So you can yeah. learn more about that by going to startuphustle.xyz or drop your business. Did you register? Did I? I don't think so. 
You might need to. I you might I'm need to. to. Everyone <laughs> wants to tell a good story. So yes. anyway, back to me ending episodes. <laughs> I end mine with what I lovingly refer to as the founder's freestyle and knowing that you're uh, alone on an, uh, an island album is straight out of Compton. We might get some freestyle out of you here, but based on all the stuff that we've talked about or anything that you want to say, like what's, what are your, what are your closing remarks to all the hustlers listening out there? Oh, the closing remarks, just keep hustling. Don't give up, keep going, be persistent. That's what's going to beat out all your competitors, persistence and also being easy to work with. Don't be a dick. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, sometimes being a dick, it actually works. <laughs> but then, it, but it, which sucks, because then yeah. you have to live with that. Yeah. And it's and anytime you're in that mode, like you're really not like, at the crescendo of right. awesomeness. <laughs> um, so regardless of whether you think you are, or you aren't, I, yeah. I think for this episode, the a big takeaway for me is, hey, look, and we're going to keep this animal related. So you fall off the horse. Uh, you, you either get back on or you quit riding horses. Yep. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, like it, there's no one that, that there's no rule and there's no rules to entrepreneurship, yeah. by the way, like maybe I'll publish a rule book or something. Cause and I think that would be <laughs> difficult to do. But the thing is, is if you fall off the horse and you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to get back on it. And you should expect to not only fall off the horse to have the horse step on you kick you maybe poop on you you never know you might fall in the horse's poop it's not pretty people like this is not for the faint of heart much Mm -hmm. like being a cowboy you know like those i mean you hit that ground it's hard yeah and you know like i said it's that resolve and determination of whether you want to get back up on it Mm because the gate to the corral is right over there people like you can exit you can walk away from this at pretty much any time, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. And, you know, so, you know, like I said, it's much like there's so many things in life that determine Okay. You're not going to become a Navy SEAL and make it through that training. If you ring the bell easily, right. It's just a good point. You know, mm-hmm. like it's there, like that program is there to test the resolve, the determination and the yeah. toughness. Mm-hmm. And that's the same kind of stuff. I mean, that's like, you know, it is not easy. And now don't give up on your dreams. Cause you know, it's like, I, I'll try 10 things. Cause I hope one works. Exactly. Exactly. There's my formula right there. It's not rocket science. So, well, anyway, with all that, I'm going to get back to doing some other stuff. And I want all of you out there to go check out politics, follow their social media. There's some links in the show notes. Liz, thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.